0: Let me let me start. Let me start with a question. A little survey, a non-scientific survey. Even though we have a, so, a sociologist with us, this is my version of a survey. Um, how many of you? Um, how many of you are like on-time people? Like you got to be places on time or a little bit early. You got. are like that's just you, right? Okay. It's funny because some people are raising their hand, and then the person next next to them was like looking at them with a confused look on their face, like really? Okay. But that's okay. So then how many of you would call yourself like, you know, you're in the five to 10 minute late range. It's just you. It's just part of your flow. It's funny because you know what's interesting? A lot of you guys are in the front because the seaters are catching you as you're coming in and they're bringing you right to the front. So thank you. Um, And um, thank you, seating team. You guys are awesome. And uh, how many of you are Like, if you get to an event within an hour of it starting, you're kind of like, I'm good. That's me. I'm fine. Right. A couple of you guys. Right. And the rest of them are not here yet, but they'll be here. They'll be here in just a minute. So I don't know if it's, you know, because my dad, my dad was in the military before he became a pastor. So maybe that's like part of the, the, the deal with me, but I'm an on time person. Like I need things to, I have to be on time to stuff. And if I'm running late to stuff I actually have a physiological response to lateness. My blood pressure starts to go up. I start to, you know, my throat gets tight. Like I get nervous when I'm late, and it doesn't even have to be something that important. It can be something non important, you know. And and I'm, gonna, and I'm going. Gosh, we got to get there in time. Sometimes I'll get to places and then I'll just end up like driving around the block a few times just because I need to be there early, right? So that's me. the the um, The other day, a few a few weeks back, I was going downtown. Uh, to meet um, a partner at the law firm where I used to work. And I was going down there to have a conversation with them about some ministry opportunities in the city. And so um, I, I've got like an internal pressure to get there on time because that's just who I am. But then I also have kind of an external pressure to get there on time because this is like a, a lawyer, a partner at a big firm. They charge, you know, a lot of money per hour for their time. And so even though we're not, I'm not paying him, we're not paying him, I'm thinking like every minute that he's with me is a minute that he could be making buku bucks. So I need to make sure that I'm there on time, right? So I leave you city. Everything is fine. I, I leave the office. I drive down Skinker, Turn, you know, right on Skinker, left on 40, you know, east, flying down 40, get off on 11th Street, zip up to Olive, bang a right on Olive, and then pow, there is this huge orange detour sign in my face saying, you know, you can't go this way. Now, here's the thing. I can actually see the building that I'm trying to get to. I'm like 30 seconds away from the building that I need to get to. I look down at my clock radio. It says I've got six minutes until the meeting, but I've got this detour sign. And now this, what this means is I can actually see the destination. I know where I'm trying to go, but I cannot get there. And I actually don't know how long it's going to take me to get there because I don't know where the detour leads. I've gotta go around this whole detour in order to get to my destination and I'm freaking out. I'm upset because I hate detours. They mess with my plans, they mess with my flow. I've got, I've got things in order the way I want them to be and a detour throws me off. Now that's just a little detour on my way to a meeting, which I made it to and I was a couple minutes late, but I just you know used a little charm to sort of smooth that over, no, no big deal. Um, But how many of you would say that you've ever experienced a detour in your life? Right? Like a life detour. You are going down a path and you've got some ends in sight, you've got some goals you wanna achieve, you got some things that you wanna reach out and touch and suddenly, bang, there's a detour in your world and now you are off track. I know that some of you are experiencing detours or have experienced detours in your career where you thought you were going to move down this one direction and everything was lined up and everything was in order and then bang, suddenly you're going a different direction. You don't know how to get back on the track that you were on. Some of you are in detours right now in your relationships. And here's the tricky one about relationships is that you don't even know where the detour began. You were were in a relationship and things were going fine and now you find yourself totally in this morass and you don't know how to get out but you don't even know how to retrace your steps to go, hey, where did we get off track? Well, when did we start to go awry? When did this relationship go, start to go flat? Some of you that are single, maybe you were you know, tracking along with your single life and your dating life and your social life and everything was going smoothly or maybe you were dating somebody or you were dating a lot of people and then suddenly you're like, bang, what happened? I'm no longer in the flow. I'm no longer getting where I wanted to go, right? Some of you have experienced it in your finances. Some of you are experiencing it right now just in your heart, like you are in a pattern of behavior or thought that you know is a detour from who you really are and where God wants you to be, but you don't know how to get out of it. You're stuck in it, right? It's a detour. So if that's you, and I think that's probably most of us, that we're either in one now or we've been in one, uh, I've got really good news. We're in a series, thresholds, and sometimes thresholds, these transitional stages that we've that we've been talking about. Sometimes they're smooth and easy. You move from one stage of life to another. Other times they're not, and you get stuck in these detours, right? But here's my word of encouragement, my word of hope, my word of strength to you, and I want to title this sermon Destiny in the Detour because what we learn from Scripture, what we learn from the whole of Scripture is that God can actually use your detour to guide you to your destiny. God can lead you to your destiny through your detour. Let me explain. Last week, remember, we talked about David. David was was anointed king. He was a shepherd, but he was anointed king, but then he wasn't crowned king. He had a a 15-year span between the anointing and the coronation, right? But he made a lot of good choices in that threshold, and that helped him to move from one state to the next. And we all say, great job, David. Well done. You know, that's so awesome because you developed all these great qualities and characters and, you know, you did the right thing. You didn't kill Saul. And if you were here last week, you know, you you, you know what I'm talking about. David made a lot of right decisions. But the question that I have and the question that I left with last week is what happens when we make bad decisions in the threshold? What happens when we enter into these transitional periods of life and we make a series of wrong moves And so our threshold, which could have been smooth and easy, suddenly becomes a detour that we don't know how to get out of. Because I don't know about you, but I can tell you that for me, sometimes I make the right decisions, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do the right thing, but then sometimes I make the wrong call and I end up in a detour. I end up stuck. But God can take your detour and lead you through your detour into your destiny. I was listening to... A preacher this week, and I've got about five preachers that I really like, okay, and I listen to them all the time, and I try to steal and copy them as much as I can, because because they're all way better than me, and I praise the Lord that none of them live in St. Louis, because if they did, then you would probably be going to their church, and then I wouldn't have a job, and I would be interning for them, but praise God, they're in different parts of the country. So anyway, um, so this group of of pastors, I, I listened to them, I was listening to one this week, and he was talking about the, the, the period of time The transitional period of time Where the children of Israel had been freed from bondage in Egypt But they had not yet made it into Canaan Into the promised land The land flowing with milk and honey They were in this, they were in this threshold and I, and I thought to myself this is, this is like the quintessential threshold story Because first of all It involves a group of people, right? And you know, we're a church family We're a group of people That you know, each one of us sometimes ends up in these detours, right? But second of all, what's interesting about it is the detour was the result of their own disobedience They ended up in a detour that didn't have to be a detour They had been offered the opportunity to go straight from freedom Straight from slavery into freedom But when they got to the edge, if you know the story, they got to the edge of the promised land and god said behold I have taken the land go in. I will conquer for you. This is your land. They said no They said, we've seen them in this land, and they're big, and they're scary, and we're afraid of them, and so we are not going to go in. And so from that point on, God sent them on this sort of scenic tour of the Sinai Peninsula. They started wandering in the desert. Now, if I'm preaching, I like to preach the beginning of that story. I love the sermon about how God can free you from bondage and slavery, and he can bring you out of Egypt, and he can break the bonds of slavery. I love to preach that sermon. That's a good sermon. That'll preach. All right? I love the sermon where they get into the promised land. You know, Joshua leads them and they they conquer they conquer, you know, the Canaanites and they move into the promised land, and God will bless you with the blessing that He promised you and all that. That's an awesome sermon to preach. The non-awesome sermon is the one where they're wandering around in the wilderness in this detour, in this elongated threshold of life, where they're neither They're neither slave nor free. They're wandering around in the middle of no man's land. That's a hard sermon to preach. But today I want to spend some time in that. Because as I'm reading the scripture, I'm seeing that God has some stuff to reveal to you and to me that will be transformative in our life, that will be enlightening and enlivening if we can understand how God works in the midst of our detours. So I want to start by reading a long, strange passage from Numbers chapter 9 that I think you will find also to be long and strange. So let's just dive in (laughs) in together and see what God is doing. So it says this. It says, On the day the tabernacle... The tent of the covenant law was set up. The cloud or a cloud covered it. So remember the tabernacle, okay? Because we're going to come back to that at the end of the sermon. Tabernacle is a big tent. It's about the size of this auditorium. And it's where God's presence dwelt. And that's where, that's where they would meet God in the Sinai desert. He would come and he would dwell inside of this tabernacle. So um, the, the, the cloud is covering this tabernacle. From evening till morning, the cloud covered uh, above the tabernacle and it looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days, and the Lord's command, and at the Lord's command they would encamp. And then it is command, they would set out. Are you tracking with this? I mean, is, is it a little repetitive, or am I just like reading the same thing over? It's kind of saying, you know, it was sometimes there, and then they would stay, and then it would move, and then they, they would move. Is everybody tracking with that so far? Good, because it said it like eight times so far. Sometimes, sometimes, the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning... They set out. That's what they did. They set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and they would not set out. You with me? They wouldn't set out. But then it would lift and then they would set out. (laughs) At the Lord's command, they encamped. And the, it starts to kind of like, can you even keep going? And then and then at the Lord's command, they 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 yeah, they set out. And then they obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. They encamped and then they set out. Are you with me? Like the cloud stayed and they they stayed. And then the cloud moved and then they moved. And then and then that's what happened. No matter what. Like in every conceivable circumstance, that's basically what happened in that story. So you know, if you're reading the story and you're like me, you're going, what is, what is going on? Like, what is this story about? Why is it, what is this cloud doing, setting and moving and then setting up and then, and then moving? And here's the thing, before we can actually understand what the cloud is doing, we have to understand what the cloud is, okay? We learn from the context of the story that the cloud is the visible presence of God. It's the visible representation of God with these people. Now, remember... These are people who just recently told God that we are not going to obey you. These are people who were brought to the edge of the promised land, and God said, I want you to go in, and they said, no, we will not go in. We will not go in. Now, this is a moment for God to go, okay, because I said to go in, and you didn't go in. Good luck to you. I'm leaving. I'm backing away. I'm retreating. But the actual visible presence of the cloud demonstrates a very, very important point that might seem totally obvious, but I think the scripture is trying to get us to understand by repeating it over and over and over and over again. And that is that God will not desert you in your detour. The presence of God remained with the children of Israel despite the fact they had disobeyed him. God will not desert you In your detour Wherever you've been Whatever you're doing Whether you're obeying or you're not obeying God is with you still This is something I'm going to come back to Because I think it's easy to hear it But it's not easy to fully grasp it Because a lot of times when we think I am far from God The logical conclusion is that God is far from me That's not the reality You can be far from God And God is right next to you you can turn your back on God, and God still has your back. You can reject God, and God has not rejected you. You can deny God, and God has not denied you. God has not deserted you in your detour. Has anybody ever been to Disneyland in California? In, Ca- in California, yeah. Bunch of people. Okay, so my in-laws live in Disneyland. My in-laws love Disneyland, and they always get free tickets somehow. What's that? Oh, they don't live in Disneyland. <laughs> kind of, but um, they go to Disneyland. They live in California, which is kind of Disneyland. We'll strike all of this n- nonsense from the tape. Um, they go to Disneyland, and then when we, go to Di- when we go to California, we end up going to Disneyland. They set out, and then they, they encamp. Um, so so we go to California, and I'm not a Disneyland person. It's not my thing. I'm just not into it. It's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with Disneyland. It's just not, it's not where I feel at home. It's not my happiest place. And, but anyway, so I go. And then last time we went, we go into this ride called Space Mountain. I'm trying to gauge the, the excitement about space, space Mountain. Space Mountain is for me the most obnoxious ride that you could ever get on. Because you get on this roller coaster and it's dark it's, you go into a tunnel, and there's, it's dark, and there are like little flashes of light, and so the roller coaster is going up and down, it's slowing slow, and then fast, and it's stopping, and moving, and it's banking left, and banking right, and it's obnoxious, and it's nauseating, you want to die, you want it to be over, because you can't understand what is going on in this dumb ride that your in-laws made you go on with your kids, and You know, the the disorientation and confusion of it is a little bit like what we experience when we're in a threshold, when we're in a detour version of a threshold, and we don't know where it's going. And we're going fast, and we're going slow. And we're going up, and we're going down. And we're going left, and we're going right. And we don't know when it'll end. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. But we know we're in this detour. And here's what the, the Bible is teaching about the Israelites, is that in the midst of this crazy, chaotic, uncertain time, God did not desert them in their detour. God was with them. He is with, listen, he is with you in the day. He is with you at night. He's with you in the morning. He's with you in the evening. He's with you at home. He's with you in the club. He is with, he's like, you know, Dr. Seuss. He's like, he's with you in a box He's with you with a fox. Come on, somebody. He's with you in a house. He's with you with a mouse. He's with you in a plane. He's with you on a train. He's with you here. He's with you there. He's with you everywhere. God will not desert you in your detour. What's important about that is that some of you are not in a detour right now, but you have been in a detour. And in that, in that detour that you were in, you've blocked off that part of your life to say that was all regrettable and shameful and I wish that hadn't happened and I'm sorry that that happened and I don't ever want to revisit that. Guess what? God was with you in that. He was with you when you were not with him. He loved you when you did not love him. He's with you now in the midst of the most confusing, uncertain chaotic experience in your life, he's with you, okay? Everybody got that point? Because I mean, we could just stop there because I really feel like if you understand that, that changes the way you look back at your life and it changes the way you understand your life now and it changes the way that you have anticipation and hope and faith for the future because you know that wherever you are, God is there. Look, let me just read a scripture real quick. Um, David, King David writes songs. I love his songs. The lyrics go like this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. But you're only there if I'm in heaven because you're only there when I'm doing good. Right? Wait. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. Oh, if I make my bed in hell, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God will not desert you in your detour. He's with you no matter where you are, where you've been. He's there with you in the midst of that. Okay, we get that part now, all right? I feel like you're there with me on that. And, 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 and this cloud is, is hanging around, with the children of Israel, despite the fact that they're living in disobedience and they're not obeying God, okay? So he's with them. But then the question becomes, why are they herking and jerking all over the place? Why are they moving and then stopping and then moving and then stopping and like, you know, why is that going on, right? Because what God could do is say, hey, I know you don't want to go to the promised land. I know you told me that you're not going to go to the promised land, but guess what? I'm the boss of you and you are going to the promised land and I'm going to just put you in the promised land. He could do that. He actually has the power to do that. He could say, I'm going to send a strong wind and the Canaanites will be wiped off the face of the earth and I'm going to lay out a red carpet and you're going to walk into the promised land. He could do that. Why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he take them directly into the promised land? That's what he wants for them. That's what they want for themselves. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the blessing that he desired to give them when they were in Egypt. But here's what we learned profoundly about God and that is, he's more concerned with your development than he is with your destination. Why is he saying, all right, stop, okay, go. Okay, ready, let's go. Okay, now stop. Okay, go, ready, here we go. Because every time he's doing that, they're having to obey him. And every time they have to obey him, they start to learn to trust him. And every time they start to trust him, they learn to rely upon him. And every time they rely upon him, they start to have faith in a God who's with them even in their detour. This is a group of people who were given the opportunity to walk into the promised land and they said no. And so God says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start training you. I'm gonna start training you. And here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna walk and then I'm gonna stop and you're gonna stop. And then we're gonna walk, right? Because what I wanna do is I wanna develop something in you. I wanna develop trust and patience and faith and hope because you can't have those if you just walk into the promised land. You know why 70% of people who win the lottery are broke within 3 years? Because they never went through what they needed to go through to understand how to manage 10 billion dollars, right? I mean, I, I mean I would take that challenge on if somebody, you know, but but that's the problem. They got the promised land without any of the, 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 the lessons that come, come along the way. So my, 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 my boys right now, my older boys are in the promised land. They're in the summer promised land. They both have bikes. They both have helmets. They know the, they know the laws of the land. Our neighborhood's a you know, relatively safe neighborhood. And they can get on their bike and leave our house and ride to the park or ride around the neighborhood or do whatever they want. Except they, certain places they can't go. But, you know, they've got pretty free range. And they're very happy about this. My third son, Augustine, he's only three. If you ask him how old he is, he's, he'll say, I'm three, I'm almost four. But his birthday is in April, so he's still got 10 months. But he's always like, the day after his birthday, he was like, I'm, I'm almost four. And it's like, technically, yes, because you're only a year away. You know, geological time, it's a very small time. But, but anyway, so he's, he's, he's like wanting to join his brothers on their bikes. But he's on a tricycle. He's only on a tricycle. This week we introduced him to a bicycle. Guess what? A tricycle doesn't go as fast as a bicycle. A tricycle just doesn't it just doesn't keep up. And so I'm trying to get him on a bicycle so that he can ride around with his brothers, right? And I know that this will be a time of joy and fun and freedom for him when he learns how to ride a bike. But he's scared to get on the bike because the bike is tall and the bike is wobbly. And the bike is uncertain, and he's never really ridden a bike before. And I could tell him, son, listen to me. I know what you want. I know what's best for you. You're not getting off this bike until you learn to ride this bike, son. I could do that. But I'm not that concerned with how quickly he learns how to ride a bike. I'm not actually that concerned about how quickly he makes it from trike to bike. I'm concerned with the development that he will experience as we train him slowly, carefully, thoughtfully, how to ride a bike. I want him to develop some confidence. I want him to develop some trust. I want him to develop some assurance. I want him to develop some esteem because I'm not as interested in the destination. I'm interested in the development. That's what every father is interested in. And God is saying to these Israelites, look, the reason we're moving around right now and the reason I'm not freaking out about the fact that it's gonna take you 40 years to get to the promised land is that I'm trying to work something out in you right now. I'm trying to develop something in you right now. And so here's what I would, you know, urge you and encourage you to do. When you're in these threshold periods, when you're experiencing these thresholds, don't say, God, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of Space Mountain? Because I'm throwing up here. How do I get out of here, right? Say, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to learn? What do you want to grow inside of me? How do you want to develop me in the midst of this threshold? Because you're not there by accident. He is there with you and he's guiding you and he's leading you. And he wants to grow something and develop something in you in the midst of this threshold. Are you with me? Are you flowing? Are you following this? Do you believe that? God is trying to develop something inside of you that he cannot develop if he gives you the end right now you will not develop trust. You will not develop courage. You will not develop faith. You will not develop patience. You will not develop hope. You will not develop wisdom if God just says, bang, here, I'm giving it to you. So when you're in a threshold, when you're in a detour, say, God, what do you want to develop in me? I'm not putting this on the screen, but if you look in your sermon notes, the book of James digs into this. It says, let us rejoice in our trials because it's through our trials that we experience steadfastness and let that steadfastness stay in you so that you can become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's saying, I want to develop stuff in you, but you got to trust me. You got to rely on me. You got to move when I say move. You got to stop when I say stop. Now, some of you are here and you're like, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to buy these first two points. I'm going to buy that God is with us. No matter what. Because I, I can conceptualize that. God is with us in the good times and the bad. And he's always with us. Okay, I can get that. And, I, and I'll buy the fact that sometimes God uses bad circumstances to make me a better person. Right? So like, that which does not kill me only makes me stronger and all that. And so, yep, I get that. I, I, I'll, I'll go for point one and point two. I, I'm, I'm tracking with that. But what about when the detour is not a circumstance that has happened to you? and the detour is not a person that's obstructing you from becoming who God wants you to be, what if the detour is self-inflicted? What if you are in charge of the detour that you're on because you disobeyed, because you knew what to do and you didn't do it, or you knew what not to do and you did it, and now you're in a detour? Surely God cannot use my sin to bring out his sovereignty. That's not how God works, right? Because every religion will tell you if you're moving away from, if you're moving into sin, then you're moving away from God, right? That's that's a no-brainer, okay? So how can God possibly use the fact that I'm the one who put myself on this detour somehow to bring about some good? How is that possible. But here's what the scripture teaches, and it's a radical concept. I want you to get it, and I want you to soak in it, because God can use your disobedience to lead you to your destiny. You don't hear, you're not going to, you're not going to hear, you know, that's not, don't, don't tweet that, okay? Because that's not, people are going to go, wait, what? Listen, God can lead you to your destiny in the midst of your disobedience. The children of Israel are in disobedience right now. They're wandering around the desert because they disobeyed God, and God can lead them to their destiny in the midst of their disobedience. I'm going to tell you um, about 20 years ago. Uh, I was living in Los Angeles, and um, so now that we've we've known each other for about six years, I'm going to start opening up and sharing a little bit of my life. Um, so about 20 20 years ago, 18, um, I was I was in a rock band, and. Um, It was a pretty good rock band, actually. We were a good band, and we used to play all over L.A., and we would play, like, the Whiskey and the Viper Room and the Mint and the Coconut Teaser and, like, all the Spaceland. Has anybody been to any of these places? And will not admit my heart. Um, um, So, so, and then I was working. I was working in, in, you know, in, in Los Angeles. And so externally, we were doing okay. I was doing okay. I had this life. I thought it was a neat life. It was kind of cool in some ways. But internally, I was on a self-inflicted detour that had taken me about as far away from God as I could conceivably go. And it wasn't external circumstances that caused this detour. And it wasn't another person that forced me into this detour. I chose it. I chose it. I decided to turn my back on God, to defy him, to deny him, To walk away from him, to disobey him, to to completely be out of accord and out of step with where he wanted me to go. And it wasn't because I didn't know. It wasn't because like, oh gosh, what is right? I knew what was right and I chose not to do right. I chose to do the opposite of right as much as I could and to, to, you know, let people know about it. That's what I had chosen to do. So one night, I mean, so if, you know, conventionally I'm as far from God as possibly that I could be. And I'm as far from my destiny as I could possibly be, right? One night I'm at this club on the east side of Los Angeles. It's in an area called Silver Lake and it's this club and my band is there and we're playing. And like I said, I'm from an internal perspective, I'm as far from God as I can be. I'm on the biggest, longest detour of my life. You know, it was a, it was a decade-long detour and I'm, and I'm at, the, I'm at the, the far end of it. Guess who comes walking into the club? This blonde-haired, blue-eyed, 18-year-old girl who eight years later would become my wife, the mother of my children, my best friend, my partner in ministry, my wife Rebecca, comes walking into a club. I meet her at the time of my greatest disobedience. Do not tell me that God cannot even use your disobedience to lead you to your destiny. I'm not recommending that you disobey God. What I'm recommending is that you understand that God can use any experience that you have had to help lead you to your destiny. You you know, I don't know how you feel, but I feel that God brought us together. And God brought us together in the time where I did not even believe in God. He brought us together at a time where I was in complete denial of God, where I was in complete disobedience. But God can use your disobedience even to lead you to your destiny. And the Apostle Paul says The exact same thing, but I don't know that we always grasp it. I don't know that we always comprehend it. Romans 8, he says this. He says, all good things work together. I'm trying to get you involved in this sermon right now. He said, all things work together. And here's the crazy thing about the Greek. It actually means all things. That means all things work together for the good of those who love the the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That means God uses your sin. God uses your your rebellion. God can use the, the, the mistakes that you've made, the detours you've gone on. God can use everything that you've experienced in your life to bring you to the place that he wants you to be. God can use everything that you've ever experienced to bring you to the place that he wants you to be. So here's what I'm recommending. Why would you spend time in condemnation of your past, in regret, in shame, in, 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 in damning the detour that you've been in, when you can say, God, I trust that you were with me in the midst of that. God, I trust that you were seeing me through when I was trying to, when I was walking down a self-destructive path, you were protecting me because you were leading me to my destiny despite my disobedience. Even in the midst of it, you were there. God is with you no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you think you've gone from him. He was with you there. He was leading you there. He was developing you there. And he's with you now. Band, I want you to come up and help me close out this sermon and here's what I here's where it, here's where it all sort of comes together for me and I told you at the beginning remember the tabernacle part of the story because it's going to come back in at the end and here's here we are we're at the end and here's what we here's what we learn we understand that the tabernacle was where the visible presence of God dwelt and there was a cloud above the tabernacle and that's where God stayed and that's where God lived, and that's how God moved, and that's where people communed with God, and that's where they experienced God, right? Well, eventually, the children of Israel were led into the promised land. They were taken into the land flowing with milk and honey. There was that conquest. There was that victory after God had trained them and developed them and led them and taught them reliance and faith and hope and strength. He brought them into the promised land, and when they were in the promised land, they turned the tabernacle into a temple. And the temple Became the dwelling place of God. A place made of stone and gold and wood and silver. And that's where God dwelt. And He would meet them in the holiest, holiest of holies. That's where He would come and that's where He would commune. And then, about a thousand years after that, there was a guy that we kind of like around here. His name was Jesus. And He came to set us free, to take us from bondage to freedom. He came to liberate us from our past. He came, he came to lead us through our detour into our destiny. And what he did was, one of the things he talked about, he, he would say like, you know, tear this temple down in three days I'll build it back up. Everybody thought, what is he talking about? And then they actually took him and they, and they, they hung him on a cross. And the scripture says that when they did that, the veil, the divider that separated God's presence with human's presence was split right down the middle and the spirit of God that dwelt in this temple made of stone became available to every single human being on the planet and you became the temple I became the temple for the dwelling place of God we collectively become the temple where God resides where the presence of God resides the cloud comes out of the sky and into your heart and now no matter where you are you've got the God who is your Savior who is your Lord who is merciful beyond belief guiding you and leading you not from some sign out there but by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus and who turn their lives over to Him and He's there to guide you and He's there to lead you and He's there to direct you and to correct you And so you don't have to stay stuck in a detour. You don't have to keep wandering around in this endless cycle of uncertainty and confusion and disobedience. You can walk into his presence because his presence dwells inside of you. It lives within you. And he wants you to experience him. Scripture says, lean not into your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. What that means is like, if you're in the midst of this threshold right now and you're on a detour, you can say, God, I'm not, I actually don't know where you got me going and I don't know how long it's gonna take and I don't even see where the end is. But I trust that you're with me and I trust that you live inside of me and I trust that you have a place for me to go and a destination and I trust that you're developing something inside of me right now and turning me into the man or to the woman that you want me to be. I embrace you. I I affirm you. I accept you. I will obey you, God. I'm following you. If you're here today and you have not done that, do it. You can come out of this cycle. And if you've done that, but you've gotten stuck in a detour, God's with you. Trust Him. Lean on Him. Obey Him. Follow Him. Because no matter how far you think you are, he's there. Now. I'm going to have Ernest lead us in 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 this song. Let's all stand together. Don't come up. Don't come up to the worship areas now. Just stand. And let's open up our hearts. This song, it says, lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. And then it says a line I love. Wanderer. Hey, wanderer, hey, person in the detour, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. Open your heart and just sing with us in a moment. And then I'll come back up and and dismiss this in in just a moment. Lay down your hurt. WV Sometimes people are still stuck in in bondage and they need God to to liberate them and that might be you today. But sometimes people aren't stuck in bondage but they haven't experienced the freedom either because they haven't trusted in the God who can lead them into the promised land. And I I just got to tell you, I mean, I think that's most Christians. Most followers of Jesus are in this middle state We're not bound to sin, but we're not living in the freedom and the blessing that God has for us. And I just want to say today, that's available to you. Open your heart wherever you are. let 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 him fill you up and lead you and guide you and direct you.